Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. As Brooke mentioned, we're sort of in a 10th anniversary month. It's one of those things where we can look at, there's other churches in Munster who've been here for 100 years or more. So it's not like we're patting ourselves on the back because we've been here so long. But when your kid turns 10 years old, do you throw a party? Yeah, we do that. We don't just wait for it to be grandma and grandpa's birthday because they've made it far enough. And as as we celebrate, we're aware that during the time that we've had together, God's done something. He really has. He's done a work in a lot of people's hearts and a lot of people's lives. And to the extent that we can get to know him better through that, what a blessing it really is for us. And, and in particular, I am so thankful that God's made himself known. He's revealed himself so we can know what he's really like. And, and for some of us, it's, well, certainly within our culture, it is common and it's a tempting rut for us to fall into just kind of a vague idea about God out there somewhere. You know, we can talk about believing in God and asking God and trusting God and have sort of a fuzzy blur of an idea of who is he and what's he like and what really matters to him and what's his personality. And the scripture tells us that God made himself known to us through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. He came in person and he was, we're able to touch and handle and get to know him. And that's our prayer. And as we dig into the scriptures, it's our privilege to get to see him as he is, to get to know who this God is who's come to us. And Lord, that's our prayer as we open up your word together this morning. Lord, that we would actually know you more, that we know you better. God, would you this morning clarify, shape, and focus our thinking about the divine into the man Christ Jesus. Help us to see you, to know you, and do what you say. Please, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, In John chapter 13, we see a remarkable episode that may be familiar to you. It might be new to you, but it's a remarkable episode. I just want to read from the verses. The whole story is verses 1 through 17. I think we'll look at the first five verses, jump to verse 12, and then read the final five. Um, But the Bible says this. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Verse 3 and 2 continues. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And then he has a bit of a dispute, a little argument with Simon Peter, his his disciple Peter, who said, no, Lord, you can't wash my feet. That is too servant-like for you because you're a teacher and you're Lord. And then in verse 12, Uh, The story picks up and it says that when Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, 
and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should should do what? Yeah, I, I know it's a little corny to, to ask you to, to fill that in, but that's what he's saying for us. You also should wash one another's feet. Verse 15, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now, if you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Now, if you know these things, you'll be blessed if you retweet them. No, right? Uh, you'll be blessed if you make a refrigerator magnet and, and you put it on the on the fridge. No, it's you'll be blessed if you do them. And it's it's scary sometimes. The gap between the things that, that we know and then what we actually do, right? Um, I, I find it particularly scary in this case because, I mean, what if Jesus is really serious about the stuff he says? You know, but, I mean, my wife at her job, I mean, part of the regular business of people coming to the medical clinic has to do with not doing what they know they were supposed to do and having the consequences for that. You know, I, I find that for myself as well. And so on this sort of thing, when Jesus says, I've washed your feet, wash each other's feet. Now that you know this, if you do it, you'll be blessed. I'm struck because I think if we've been in church for a bit, it's easy for us to say, oh, yeah, I know this idea of washing feet is important. I know this idea of being a servant is supposed to be important. But in practice, it seems like there's so many other things that can end up higher up on my to-do list emotionally and in practice. And getting caught up in some of the toxic trends of our culture about the way that leadership is modeled and described in society uh, and the kinds of things that we use to define success and that we aspire for, it makes us think greatness looks something different than what Jesus actually described it as being. And so I ask myself, why is something so simple, so elusive? Why is something that, you know, seems so straightforward, so rare to actually find? And how do we bridge the gap between what we know and what we actually do. And, and there's a handful of things that just get in the way for us when it comes to the idea of washing other people's feet, of being a servant to others. It gets in the way so we can know that something's good, but then end up not actually doing it. And, and so next slide here. Uh, just a few of my thoughts about things that get in the way, right? Sometimes it's, it's other opposing thoughts that we have. That there's a conflict in my thinking. Yeah, Jesus, I know you said that, but, right? Because we can say there's other things I know and they conflict with whether I actually get off of serving. Like, well, somebody else could take care of that. And, and another thing that gets in the way are conflicting priorities. There's other things that I want to do right now that feel more important to me and it gets in the way. Serving you gets in the way of what I want to do for myself. And so I'm just too busy, too busy with other things to do it. And we have all kinds of feelings, feelings that get in the way as well. Right? And we look and say, well, why isn't anybody serving me? 
what what about the last time that I did and nobody seemed to notice and I didn't even get thanked for doing it. My own apathy because yeah, it's a bit of work to get up and do. And I ask, why isn't why bother? It's not going to make any difference anyway. All these things get in the way of us doing the very simple thing that Jesus has said to us. But look what Jesus did. What Jesus did cuts through many of my self-serving rationalizations and fears and history and baggage. What Jesus did was he didn't come up with a different set of ideas or arguments. against. He just got up from the table when nobody else was doing it. The Bible says in verse 3, he got up, sorry, verse 4, he got up from the meal. He didn't wait for someone else to do it. He didn't get stuck because he was in the middle of something else, which he was. It's the meal. And he got up from the meal and he broke the inertia of being served to become the one who did the serving. The next thing it says in the verse is he took off his outer garment. He, he, in a sense, stripped off anything that would get in the way of him getting down to serve. He eliminated the idea of status being a barrier for him. And he eliminated conflicting priorities, just got rid of whatever would not enable him to fulfill his role as a servant. And then he wraps a towel around his waist. He put on a mindset of a servant in a physical demonstration. Say, I'm going to clothe myself. In, in what I need to be doing here now. And there's a, a little word, you might have noticed it when we read it through, that starts out verse four. And it's the word so. It says, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his neck. So means, all right, it was because of something. And what happened in verse three, it's this foundation. This was the foundation that enabled Jesus to cut through all the obstacles uh, to actually doing the serving. And it says this in verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put everything under his power, that he had come from God, and he was returning to God. He knew what God had given him. He knew where he was coming from. He knew where he was going. There's a security of identity that unlocks us being able to serve others. You know, this very simple thing that Jesus seems to say, look, guys, I washed your feet. You wash each other's feet. Look, you've seen me, your Lord and teacher, live as a servant, so do it. You'll be blessed if you do it. And we find a gap in our own lives. It's like if we trace it back for ourselves, many times that, that fault line, that gap will start in our sense of identity. If we don't see, uh, don't have an understanding, God's given us everything we have. We've come from him. We're going back to him. And he's really the center that runs right through it then we're going to be locked up. It's going to be hard to actually give ourselves to embody him to others. But if that's our life, if that's who he is to us, then we can be free to live this way that Jesus does here as well. And that's what Jesus says in verse 15. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Right? What's the purpose of his example? It's so we would do it. We're not just supposed to sing songs about it or <clears throat> preach sermons about it. Right? I feel awkward, right? It, it's a little awkward to be talking about the thing that Jesus says to be doing. Right? And it's so tempting. We are such talkers in the church. That's one of the things I love about this church is that in my experience with Mercy Hill, Mercy Hill does more doing than talking. 
And I really, really love that about this church. And I do want to urge, I want to urge us this week not to complicate it, to keep it simple, not to have a, you know, a set of aspirations that get all tangled up and become grandiose, but keep it as simple as what Jesus did at dinner. Took, he got up from the meal. He took off his outer garment. He wrapped himself in a towel. And he says, guys, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what it looks like. Do what I did. I've set you an example that you may do as I have done. No servant is greater than his master. No messenger is greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know this, you'll be blessed if you do it. And, and so it raises the question, what's it look like for us to do that today? Right? Jesus' disciples, these apostles, these 12 guys who were at the meal with Jesus, listen, when Jesus died and rose again, they took this seriously. They took Jesus' teaching here quite seriously. But we have, and they taught it, that you see the priority of servanthood infusing the Acts of the Apostles and the rest of the New Testament. But you don't see any record throughout the rest of the New Testament of these guys having foot washing ceremonies. They took Jesus seriously, but not literally. Is that sinking in? They took very seriously the example Jesus was giving them, but they didn't think that the way to do what Jesus did was to physically reenact the way he did that particular specific example. Instead, he said, oh, taking on the very form of a servant, humbling ourselves and giving ourselves for each other. That's what Jesus is all about. That's what he's getting at here. That the Lord, the teacher, the master becomes the least and the servant. And so we give our lives for serving others. They took Jesus very seriously. But they didn't think the way to follow his example was with a literal basin and towel just to watch each other's feet. It was for those who had money to give it to those who needed money. It was that those who had houses and lands to sell them to the work of the gospel could extend to further, you know, further reaches and that those who had needs would be cared for. It was so that they would go and visit those who were sick and in prison and care for them. We were living out this idea of foot washing, but without it involving a towel and dirty feet. Are you seeing that? And so for us today, guys, it's still true. That's who we are. It's a vital and central part of what's made Mercy Hill what we are over these 10 years. It started with, you know, about five dozen people who served their brains out you know, in the work of getting the church started and set a tone and set a thermostat for us in doing that. This church is full of people who are washing each other's feet, not because we're all taking our shoes off and getting them wet and buffing them to a high shine with a towel, but because we take off our status, we wrap ourselves in a towel, and we take care of the needs that present themselves among us. And God forbid that we'd ever start to think that being up front here is what being important or being great is really about in this church. Because that's part of Jesus' point right here. Is he left his place at the table, and he went to where the need was. Last week, uh, when Brian was up here, uh, he made mention of a guy who's usually standing in the back, right back there, uh, who goes unnamed and usually unrecognized. But we want to draw out a little bit more about the, that this morning, John and Ruth, uh, as well. Because John and Ruth Hamster really helped set the thermostat for serving, not just when Mercy Hill was started, but a long time before that. And now, 
this is the part that's making them really uncomfortable right now. Um, so why don't we add to that and just say thank you guys. Um, John, if we were recognizing Ruth, you'd be all about it, wouldn't you? Ruth, if we were recognizing John, you'd be all about it. So just join in for each other, even where it makes you uncomfortable yourself. Uh, because together, you have been, you've certainly been in my life an example for getting close to 30 years now. And, and we are so blessed by the way that you serve. And, and for them, they didn't start to serve like these super servant heroes because Mercy Hill got started. Mercy Hill got started in part because of not just what they do as individuals, but what the whole team that was part of starting this church embodies and has done. And so we're kind of singling you guys out not to take you know, anything away from everybody else who is doing that, but to make the example that much more visible and specific for us, not just to applaud or, God forbid, get you guys up on a pedestal, but because the same way Jesus said to those disciples then, I've set you an example so that you can do what I did. We've had among us a living example that has made an impression and an impact on this church. And that if we do what Paul described to the Philippians, if we take note of those who are living according to the pattern, it's going to help us reaffirm and live it out in the years to come. Does that make sense? And so John and Ruth, uh, they're quick to insist that they're not in it. It's special. You know, they say there's so many families in this church who are knocking themselves out, serving hard with little kids hanging out, hanging all over you. Our kids are grown. We've got it easy. These are the things they say. But you know what that language is? That's the language of the athlete who doesn't think that running five kilometers is much at all because they run five miles every day. And they're just so accustomed to doing it. The fact that you guys say that at this stage of our life, no, it's easy for us to serve. It's the fruit of a lifestyle of spending year after year of being consistent in investing and serving others. And the serving muscles are strong and sustain that. And it doesn't feel like, you're not like, ooh, I think I just pulled that muscle I don't ever use because you're in the habit of serving so many others. And I want to be clear that when we talk about John and Ruth and the way that they wash people's feet among us, it's not just church stuff that they do. And it's not just family stuff that they do. I mean, you know, they're quick to even proactively think about needs here. I got a text from John yesterday morning saying, I stopped by the church and turned on the boiler. It's that time of year. Uh, I didn't even think about that. You know, but he's proactively thinking, how do we serve everybody? And so sure, when it comes to stuff at the church, John's always here. He's taking care of things. But he's just as quick to zoom over to somebody's house because their basement's flooding because the sump pump failed as he is to do something that involves the church formally. And there's four particular ways that I want to highlight that their service exemplifies some qualities that I've seen have been reproduced in a lot of other people and families in this church. And the reason to highlight these is so we can give ourselves to them even more consistently as we go forward. Um, it's, yeah, I feel like I can, there's a lot of ways I can go on and on about these guys. And, but here's four. Yeah, that's all we're going to have. Um, one of these is this. Look, if we're going to be people who wash other people's feet, we got to learn to pray. And John and Ruth, they live this. They pray and they don't give up. 
You know, it, it's like they're, they're long endurance athletes in the area of praying about stuff. Because I know John and Ruth are still praying today for things they started praying for in people's lives decades ago. They keep on praying and they don't give up. Uh, if, if you've ever had John and Ruth pray with you about anything, could you just raise your hand? You think back over the years? You know, if, if you haven't, just approach them. Because they, they are quick to pray. You, you can be talking with them in a conversation and let's, let's just pray about that. Let's pray about that. You know, we, we do this national night out um, against crime, you know, once a year. And we're out there together. And, and of course, John's always early, making sure that anything that needs to be set up or ready is set up and ready and they're there. And, um, and he'll be like partway into a conversation. He'll be talking to somebody, getting to know him. He'll be like, let's just pray about that. Boom. Well, we're going to pray about that. And it just breaks it because God's real in their life. That's why I want to start with this one out of the different qualities of serving. Part of John and Ruth's example is serve people like God's actually real, like he's actually there. Like it's not just our efforts that are going to be the difference makers. Right? Because there, there's so much that we can do. Oh, there's so much we do. We just need the Lord. So many ways we need the Lord. And your example among us keeps us pointed towards the Lord. So praying and not giving up is a huge blessing. You'll find about the prayer meetings that we organize and have for the church. Ruth was just unbeknownst of, I think, where I was going with this, uh, this morning, she was saying, oh, I just wish we'd have a prayer meeting in church and everybody would come. And she says that because she knows there's something so sweet in the presence of Jesus when we come before him in prayer together. And they don't quit. Um, thanks for washing feet on your knees as you pray. Um, another, a second aspect is have people in your home. It's pretty simple. They've been doing it for 40 years, living in the same house in Highland for the last 40 years. There's a generation that grew up spending Monday nights under a big yellow tent in their in their backyard. Um, they still host, they host our elders meetings at their house uh, every other Tuesday night. And, and it says something about what's been worked into the fabric of this church that before my time, Johnny and the other elders so we're going to do our elders meetings in a house because we're family. We're not a business. We're, we're not gathering in a church building because our elders meetings are somehow business meetings of the board where we're talking. But no, we're, we're a family. We gather in a home. We spend time praying. And Ruth, Ruth often isn't present when we're starting our elders meeting. You know, she's out doing things with others and for others. She's always made some food for us. You, know, you have a bunch of guys who come in and we're greeting and John's getting coffee, you know, for Tim usually. And, and Ruth has always made a preparation for us to come into our home, no matter where she's going or whatever else she has done. And listen, guys, you don't need a fancy house to have people in your home. It doesn't have to be a large house. I mean, there's been a number of times where, where Ruth has said, I don't know if we have the room. And we still end up with 30 people. Uh, downstairs in their house, praying together. You know, it's it's not stopping them. And so for us, pray for people and have them in your house. Don't worry about whether it's cleaned up and tidy. 
don't worry, you know, whether it looks like something out of an advertisement magazine for somewhere. Um, John and Ruth just, I think, finally redid the kitchen after 40 years, you know, but they've spent all these years with so many of us in and out of their house. Have people in your home. Thirdly, show up. You know, show up. Be there. Uh, Not just for meetings, but when things are happening with people. Show up. Be there. And and we've noticed that in the last couple years as in addition to going to his grandchildren's athletic events, uh, John's been coming to some of the events that other youth in this church that aren't related to him are doing and cheering for them and cheering him on. Show up in other people's lives. Show up for other people's moments. Sometimes it's a moment of need. Sometimes it's a moment of celebration. But show up. Get up from the meal like Jesus did. And, and show up. And what John and Ruth always do is whenever they see something that's needed, suddenly they're doing it. So they show up and they do what's needed. Sometimes that's that's taken John into some some crazy places, right? Because he ended up in Nicaragua uh, in, in charge of completely redoing the plumbing on this building. Uh, not, I don't even know if you knew that was going to happen when you agreed to go. But it was a need, and it was there, and so he started doing that. 17 years ago, we were in Argentina together helping at a soup kitchen, and he's starting to redo all the plumbing because he showed up, and he saw that's what was needed. That was there. You know, this this summer, you know, we were hosting Chinese students for a welcome picnic. And we had like four days notice that it was coming. And we needed to get a bunch of stuff across to the park over there. John's loading up tables, getting it across, just seeing what needs to be done and doing it. It's practical foot washing, brothers and sisters. It's It's a mindset and mentality where the lenses that we use for looking at things around us are always saying, how can I help? What can I do? How do I be Jesus in the middle of this? And and fourthly, look out for others. That, that same attitude that says, oh, we're going to need some more chairs. Let's set up the chairs. Is the attitude that says, wait, we haven't seen so-and-so for a while. I wonder how they're doing. We give them a call. We just ask, what do they need? Looking out for people. Because as a church, guys, we're not really about the meetings. We're not really about the building. We're about the people. And Jesus washed people's feet in this practical way. But it starts for us as well by embodying this quality of look out for other people. John and Ruth keep track of people that were in their backyard 15 years ago. Ruth still prays for them, still loves to see him check in on them look after them. Don't forget to look out for others. Do you agree? Have you guys seen these in John and Ruth's lives? These, this is a modern day example right among us of what it looks like to wash people's feet, to do the thing that Jesus said to do in the everydayness of life, in a job. Yeah, and it's easy to forget because of how John serves that he owns the company. Some of you guys work for him. And you see him live like this throughout the week. And he, he's the company owner. He's not calling somebody else to drive the truck when they, somebody's moving the house. Or, you know, he's in the basement when the sump pump fails. Uh, and just as Jesus says, it's not about status. Yeah, it's right that, that you call me these things.
but look, this is what I'm here to do. I'm serving you. Guys, this is the nature of our God. That he who is rich beyond all splendor has become poor for our sake, so that we through his poverty would become rich. This, brothers and sisters, is the incarnation where the creator of all, the Lord of glory, left his heavenly glory. He emptied himself, he humbled himself, and became obedient even to death on the cross to save his people from our sins. This is the nature of God. This is who he's like. And there's something to be found in fellowship with the Lord that we only find when we get up from the table take off our outer garment, wrap ourselves in a towel, pour some water in a bowl, and get down with people's dirty feet. And for the, you know, for the last 10 years, this church has been willing to get down among some dirty feet. We haven't done it perfectly. There have been some times we've been a real disappointment to people who were hurting and we didn't care for them and love them like we wish we would. But there have been many times and places as well where it's been the willingness of people from this church to take off their outer garment, stop what else they were doing, and get down among the dirty feet that's brought the presence of Jesus into 2013, 2017, 2019. Guys, when it becomes 2020 or 2022 or 2028, let's have these things still characterize who we are. Would you come back to verse 1 with me? Verse 1 says this. It was time for the Passover feast. That's when it was. It was just before the Passover feast. A moment had arrived. The time had come for, you know, it was an occasion on the calendar, but it was more than something on the calendar. It was both a moment of remembrance, something that had happened 2,000 years earlier. I'm off on my dates. A long time earlier. And, And additionally, it was a moment that was brand new going forward. And an issue was this. It says Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. There was a moment. The time had come. Jesus knew it's time. I'm leaving this world. I'm going back to the Father. Please don't think that this world this life is all there is. Don't get don't get sucked into that thinking. All the advertising of our culture is trying to tell us it's all about your life now. But there's a time that's coming when it'll be time for you to leave this world and go be with the Father. And in that moment, what Jesus is looking at here is a demonstration of how we live in this life. It's a moment. It's a moment that's foreshadowing the cross even as it looks back to the Passover feast because the Passover feast that they were celebrating at that time, it was looking back at the moment when they were slaves in Egypt and God was going to deliver them and bring them out. And the people had a meal under God's instruction where they sacrificed a lamb that didn't have any flaws or faults to it. And they put the blood of that lamb on the doorpost and God's angel of destruction and judgment passed over their house and they were saved. And so each year the people would reenact that remembrance and they would have the Passover meal and they'd tell the story and they'd sacrifice the lamb. And in that moment, Jesus uses that figure to help us understand this is what he's doing. The very full extent of his love that's demonstrated in washing his disciples' feet finds its apex at the cross. 
that Jesus Christ has become our Passover. His blood delivers us for the judgment that we deserve. And as we live in this life in the here and now, it says, here's how you do it. You wash each other's feet. You live it. Because in this moment, in if you will, in the shadow of the cross, we live a life with a basin and a towel. And friends, that's who we are. If we understand what God's given us, that we've come from the Father, that we're going to the Father, we live with a basin and a towel. Not so literally. It may be a sump pump. Right? It may be an egg casserole. You know, are you guys completely buried with meals? Um, I, do you have enough until Thanksgiving? Or are you, you doing okay, right? I mean, because there's been a massive meal outpouring of, of things just being left on Larry and Mindy's porch. You know, as people in, in the church here are washing their feet. And as we do this together, I, I'm just amused by this. Uh, it would be kind of ironic if people started setting a timer uh, on me. <laughs> Uh, you know, maybe not inappropriate, maybe helpful for us. Let's share communion together. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, for showing us, for living it yourself. Jesus, thank you that you came not with words and deeds, but with actions and in truth. Jesus, thank you that the centerpiece of our faith, it's not the words you had to say. It's who you are and what you've done. So, Jesus, we surrender ourselves fresh this morning, Lord, to trust you, to love you, to obey you. Lord Jesus, thank you for the cross. Lord Jesus, thank you for taking the wrath that we deserve and for bringing us home, bringing us into your family, to your household, so that your father would be our father, so that your future and destiny would be our home. Thank you, Jesus, for going ahead and preparing a place for us.